begin your study this morning in the book of Joshua, the Old Testament book of Joshua. So be finding uh, your way there. The Old Testament book of Joshua will begin in verse number 1 this morning of chapter 1. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, an abundant life, an abundant life. Joshua chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Joshua chapter 1, begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says these words, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may be able to observe to do to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray together. God, we ask that your Spirit would speak to us, challenge us. God, every single week we pray this. If there's one here that's lost, we pray your spirit will overwhelm them with the spiritual reality that they're living in right now. They're dead. And God, if they died today, they'd go to a place called hell. But they don't have to. You loved us so much, you sent Christ to die in our place to take the penalty for our sin. I pray that person will turn from their sin today and trust you to be Lord of their life. And God, I pray that every disciple in this place today can leave today truly and in reality saying that they're walking beginning to walk in the abundant life that you saved us to possess and live in. Challenge those who are not as we preach through your word today. And I pray that everyone here, God, will leave today trading second best for first place that can only be found in you. You lead, God. You guide today. We'll give you thanks for what you're going to do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And I invite you to be seated. <clears throat> the book of Exodus chapter 12 verse 40 says that the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. Through different series of events, uh, they ended up there. Joseph was there. The Lord used them. And there they were living in the plains of Goshen. And they began to even outnumber all of those in Egypt. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 1 that there arose a Pharaoh who didn't even know who Joseph was. And so he enslaved them. And they were there for 430 years. But God saw what was happening. He prophesied that they would be there. And so God was doing a work even in the midst of that. And he sent Moses to lead them out of Egypt. But listen, 
he sent Moses also to lead them in to the promised land, to lead them out of slavery, but to lead them into the, to the abundant life that he had saved them out of Egypt to be able to experience. As they began that journey, remember Numbers chapter 13, they got to a place called Kadesh Barnea, and they sent out 12 spies, and they went, they all 12 saw the same thing. There were great walled cities, there were great giants, but when they came back, two had a different response than the other 10 did. Two said, it's big, there's big walls, there's big giants, but the land is prosperous, God is faithful, let's go at once. And let's seize what God has saved us out of Egypt to be able to experience. But the other ten, they gave an evil report. And they stirred the people. They discouraged the people. And everyone rebelled except for Caleb and Joshua and Moses and those under 20 years of age. And so God began to hold those people accountable for that. And Numbers chapter 14, verses 28 through 32 says that for 40 years, the nation of Israel walked around in a circle in the, in the wilderness of Sinai and they, they, did, they did two things. They died and they discipled. For, 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 for 40 years, everyone under the age of 20 years old at the day of the rebellion, I mean above 20 years old at the age of rebellion, they died except for Caleb and Joshua. I mean it was just a series of funerals, one after the other. So there was death, but there was something else that was taking place. There was discipleship that was taking place. Moses was preparing a new generation to be able to cross over and experience what God had saved them to experience. Remember Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God says, I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, and through you shall all families of the world be blessed. And so God had a will for the nation of Israel, and they were to be a kingdom of priests, and they were to be fruitful, and they were to multiply. But in Exodus 30, Deuteronomy chapter 34, just uh, either a page before, or just right there at the top of your page, the Bible says that in verse number 5 of Deuteronomy 34 that Moses is dead. He was buried. Uh, only God knew where he was buried. He was well, even though he was advanced in years, uh, his eyes were not dim, verse 7, nor his natural vigor diminished. He had failed once, and God's penalty for that was that he would not be able to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. And so now Joshua, who is a type of Christ, is going to lead them into this abundant life. Joshua is now charged with leading Israel on a great journey with God across the Jordan River into a life of abundance in Canaan. You may be saying, you know, well, what does that really have to do with me today? I mean, that's great, and I'm glad that they got to go. Write this verse down in the margin of your scripture there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, where the apostle Paul reminded the church at Corinth, now all these things that happened to them, that is the nation of Israel, they happened as examples for us. And they were written for our admonition. That means our challenge or our warning. So everything that happened in the Old Testament is, is an illustration of what can happen to us or what could happen to us. They're written as examples for us. So this passage in Joshua 1, it's an illustration of what Jesus wants to do in the life of every believer. Remember John 10.10 10 says the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. See the parallel this morning. God led the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt to experience life now that they couldn't find any other way. But now he's about to take them over the Jordan into the promised land to experience an abundant life that's far better than they could ever have wandering around in the wilderness. Christ came 
to lead us out from sin's penalty and sin's possession over our life. But he also wants to lead you in to an abundant life that can only be found in him. And through the death and the resurrection of Christ, God offers spiritual life and a physical life, friend, of abundance in his will. And I want you to know both are yours for the taking. But listen to me this morning. You can't have the second without experiencing first the first. You must be born again. You can never experience God's best physically in your life until you experience God's first for you, and that is to be born again. It's on the basis and out of that spiritual relationship with Christ that he leads you into this physical, abundant life. And once a person turns and trusts Christ as Lord, they have for the taking a life here on earth that is personally designed and laid out by Jesus Christ himself. But just like the nation of Israel, there are a few things involved in enjoying this abundant life in him. Three things this morning. Number one, I want you to notice that there's a life to be lived. There's a life to be lived. Look at our text again in verse number one. The Bible says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to a land that I'm giving you to them, to, to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've already given to you. It, listen, they weren't there yet, but God had already given it to them. It was theirs for the taking. He says, I said all these things to Moses, as, as for verse number four, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the high tides to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun that's in the west, all of this shall be your territory. No man's going to be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And so Canaan represents the abundant physical life that we have in Christ. I know there's a lot of gospel music and other songs that try to say, you know, I'm crossing over who will be there to hold my hand? I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Friend, I want to tell you, if you waited to cross Jordan till you died, you missed out on the abundant life. The abundant life, friend, is on the other side of the Jordan. That's what stands between Israel and the abundant life. The promised land that they have is, is, is this river. And so Canaan represents all that God has saved you to be able to, to experience And the abundant life is God's plan and will for every part of your earthly life. Every part. He's got a plan for every part of your life. Now listen, if you've compartmentalized your life, as we said last week, and you've got some rooms that you've changed the locks on since you got saved, you're never going to experience the abundant life. But when God has full control of your life and you're following him in all ways and in all things, he has a perfect will and plan for every part of your life. The abundant life is simply this, friend. It's Christ living the life he wills to live through you at all times and in all ways. In case you missed that, I will say it one more time. It is simply the abundant life, Christ living the life he wills to live through you at all times and in all ways. You see, in Canaan, they would have all that they needed 
to fulfill God's will. Now, Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 6 says that God called the nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests for him. They were to be his servants. They were to be his ambassadors. Again, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. God said to, my, to Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you as a nation. I'll curse those that curse you as a nation. But through you, Abraham, all families of the world are going to be blessed. How would that be possible? Through Jesus Christ. The, the nation of Israel was to help prepare the world to receive Jesus Christ. But also, Genesis chapter 35, verse 11 says they were to be fruitful and multiply. When, when Jacob went, you know, it's the most used revival passage, when Jacob went back to Bethel, God reminded him of what it was all about, that they were to be a kingdom of priests, they were to, they were to be a nation that was to be fruitful and to multiply and to raise up godly generation after godly generation after godly generation. It, look sometime at Matthew chapter 1. Just God ever begat, ever begat, ever. This guy begat this guy, and this guy begat this guy. It's the whole lineage of David all the way down to Jesus Christ. They were to continue to raise godly generations to where, friend, the book of Galatians says, in the fullness of time, Christ would come, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us from our sin. That was God's plan, and that was God's will. And so to do that, they had to cross over into the promised land and begin to live. Now, three passages that kind of detailed what God's promises would be in their life. That's Deuteronomy chapter 11, Deuteronomy 28, and Leviticus 26. Those are, I'll say them again, Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 11, Deuteronomy 28. Those were promises that of, of things God was going to do for the nation of Israel that they couldn't do for themselves. But there was always this little transitional word in there. What was it? But if you don't do these things, you won't be able to experience my blessings and my provisions. So God, all the details, all of the working that God promised to do, it's in those passages of Scripture. Well, what was God going to do for them to help them live this life that he wanted to give them? Well, first of all, he promised to, to give them produce. Leviticus 26, verse 4, that is... He was going to feed them. They had been living on manna. But once they crossed over, friend, there wasn't going to be any more manna. Remember the reports of the, of the spies? Man, they had, there were grapes over there as big as basketballs, potatoes that you needed a backhoe to dig out of the ground, uh, bananas with zippers. I mean, it was, I'm being facetious, friend, but it was better than anything they had ever experienced. It was a land that, that was full of produce. God was going to feed his people. But not only that, uh, God promised to provide. There would be provision. That's a big umbrella. Every physical need that they needed to be met, to do those ministries, to be a kingdom of priests, and to raise godly generations, who would raise godly generations, who they would continue to teach the word of God to, everything they needed, God was going to provide. There wasn't one single need that God wouldn't meet. So there was produce, there was provision, but there was also peace. Leviticus 26, verse 6. Now listen, God never promised that there wouldn't be warfare. He never promised that there wouldn't be conflict. But he said they didn't have to be gripped by fear. They wouldn't have to be afraid of the, of the fight. There would be a peace that passed all understanding. Peace is simply not the absence of conflict, it's the absence of fear. But not only that, there was the promise of God's protection. Deuteronomy 28, 
In verse number 7, no man would be able to stand against them. No weapon formed against them would prosper. It didn't matter how many the army had, what latest uh, military and combat innovations they had. Friend, God was bigger than anything that they had. God would protect them. But not only that, there was also the promise, and most important, friend, of God's presence. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse number 2. God says, you're not crossing over by yourself. I'm going to go with you. Everywhere that you go, I'm going to be with you. There's no place that you'll ever be when you're in my will that I won't be there. But not only that, friend, there was the promise of possession. This is so important. Deuteronomy 11:24. Don't miss this. They had heard about the abundant life. For 40 years, they'd walked around hearing about it. But now, friend, it was fixing to be a reality. They were going to be able to possess this life. They were going to be able to live in the promises of God. I want you to hear me this morning. The same is true for you. The same is available to your family and for this church family. There, Christ has promised that we have provision. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 19. God meets all our needs by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 19. There's not a need that you will have as you follow Christ in the abundant life that he saved you to experience. That he will not meet. And it's always by him. He's also promised in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, that we'll have the power. There's provision. There's also power. We can do how many things? All things. Through who? Through Christ. It's through Jesus. So we have provision by Christ. We have power through Christ. But Philippians 4, verse 7 says we also have peace through Christ. It's peace that passes all understanding. It's not an absence of conflict. Rather, to the contrary, Ephesians 6 says, friend, as you follow Christ in the abundant life, you're going to have conflict at all times. There's going to be a devil who is constantly trying to turn you back, to cross over and go in the other direction. There, you're going to, he's going to work through people, through situations to discourage you and to deter you from what it is that God's called you to do. But my friend, in the midst of all those storms, there is a peace that can only be found in Jesus Christ. So there's the promise of provision, power of peace, but also, friend, we have the promise of his presence. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. He'll always be with us. As he leads us into the abundant life that he saved us to experience, we have the promise of his presence. But I love this. The Bible says there's also the promise of possession. How many of you have heard before? If you've been here for seven years, if you've ever been here before this, you've heard of How many of you have ever heard that there's an abundant life? You've ever heard from this pulpit, me quote John 10, 10, that there's an abundant life for you? Raise your hand this morning. You've heard it, but do you possess it today? It's a reality in your life. Can you really say before God with a clear conscience, I'm following Christ in the abundant life that he saved me to experience in all ways and all things. See, friend, there's a big difference between hearing it and it being a reality. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And remember, these Judaizers were trying to turn people away from the simplicity of, 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 of the gospel and the simplicity of the abundant life and the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Listen, and the life which I now live, 
in the flesh. Paul says, not that I could live, or I might live, or I wish to live. He says, the life that I now live. See, friend, you don't just have to continue to hear about the abundant life. I'm telling you today, friend, on the authority of God's Word, you can live it in Jesus Christ. The only person that can keep you from experiencing the abundant life is you. And the only people that had kept the nation of Israel from 40 years of experiencing the abundant life was them. They wouldn't cross over. And so many Christians, how sad, get saved and set up a tent just right on, on that side of Jordan, but they never cross over. They never cross over. There's the promise of possession. I'm telling you, friend, there's a life to experience in Jesus Christ. But you, you must take Christ at his word by faith and go experience it through him. There's a life to be lived. Secondly, notice this morning, though, that there's a call to be courageous. So the Lord, is, he's spoken this call to Joshua. Moses is dead. Tag, you're it. It's time to go, Joshua. You're the leader now. And so sensing the, the, the timidity that was in him, maybe, the anxiety, uh, God just begins to speak to him in verse number 6 and says, now, now, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. That was his mission. He says, only be strong and, and very courageous. And maybe Joshua, like you this morning, is sitting here saying, no, well, I'm not very strong and in, in and of myself. And I really don't like conflict. I'm not that courageous. Well, friend, listen, the, the challenge that was made to Joshua in verses 6 and 7 is based on the promise that was made in verse number 5. It's to be read and it's to be claimed in light of the promise of verse number 5. Look at it again. God says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Not part of the days, but all the days. He said, there's not one single person that will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now, I want to say, friend, listen, it's understood by Joshua, and it needs to be understood by you, that that's contingent upon you being in the will of God. If your life is out of the will of God, if you have unconfessed and unrepented sin in your life, then those promises are null and void. But when you're in a... Just wait till we get to Ai. You see, the reality of God standing and fighting for you is that you are in a continued surrender relationship with Him. And when that's the case, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. He says, I was with Moses, Joshua, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Friend, I want to tell you something. If God makes a promise, He has the power to deliver the goods. Sometimes people make promises to us, and they, they fail in relationships, I mean, we certainly know every October politicians make all kinds of promises and they don't deliver on that. But friend, I'm telling you, when God makes a promise, He has the power behind it to deliver. He'll make it happen. The question is whether we'll just take Him at His word and choose not of ourselves, but in Him to be strong and in Him to be courageous. Listen, the walled cities were still there. As a matter of fact, they probably had gotten taller. 
Word had spread. We're going to see Rahab, she knew, if Rahab knew that the nation of Israel had been wandering around and that God was in the midst of them and nobody could stand in their presence, other nations had to know. And so I'm sure they had even fortified even more. The giants were just as tall. All of the obstacles, all of the hatred, all that Satan wanted to do to squash and to thwart and to defeat what God wanted to do through the nation of Israel, it still existed. But so did the promises of God. And God was bigger than all of those challenges. And so there will always be dangers and challenges that will be in front of us. But we must make the choice. Joshua, he still had to choose to be strong and courageous in the Lord. And we have to make that same choice. Every single day, friend, you and I, we've got to choose to put on our big boy spiritual britches and our big girl spiritual britches and walk in the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. We have to choose to be strong. We have to choose to be courageous. And, and nothing can deter us from that. Because listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's trying to encourage Timothy. Listen, the axe is fixing to fall. Paul is moments from death. As Paul is writing this last letter to young Timothy, who's pastoring in Ephesus, who was a son in the faith to him, he's going to be the next generation. Paul's nostrils were continually filled, friend, with the putrid smell of burning human flesh. They were taking the bodies of Christians, impaling them on stakes alive, just like Haman was impaled in the book of Esther, and then they lit those bodies on fire for chariot races so they could light the streets. And Paul was smelling brothers and sisters in Christ. People will see one day in heaven who would not renounce their faith in Christ. He was smelling their bodies burned on stakes. And as Paul was writing Timothy not to, to quit, but to keep on, to keep going forward, he says in verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, at my first defense, he says, no one stood with me, nobody, Timothy. Everybody left. That would seem to indicate uh, Luke, Barnabas, everybody, Silas, whoever. Everybody left. The threat was so real that everybody departed. He says, no one said, he says, but all forsook me. He says, may it not be charged to them. Listen, verse 17, but straight out of that. But the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear, also I was delivered from out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, they may chop my head off my body, but they can't touch my soul. He said, God's gonna, God has always stood with me. He said, God is faithful. So Timothy, you be strong. You be courageous. My friend, I want to remind you this morning that serving Christ is no place for wimps. We live in such a powder puff, offended society today. And I'm telling you, friend, when it comes to discipleship, you've got to choose every single day to be bulldog mean, to be strong and to be courageous because you have an enemy, the devil, who is against you. He hates you. But praise God, greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. And so there's, there's a call to be courageous. And it's a daily choice that we have to make. Thank God for the truth of Hebrews 13, 5. Jesus says, I will never leave you. 
I will never forsake you. The question is, will we leave him and will we forsake him? So there's a call to be courageous. Third now, notice, an order to be obeyed. Look, look again in Joshua uh, chapter 1. Look at verse number 7. He says, only be strong, be courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn to the right, do not turn it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. So there's, a, there's an order to be obeyed. He says, you're to observe my word. He says, it's, there's a daily choice to follow and to obey God's word. And, and that's what the book of James chapter 1 speaks of in, in the deception of just knowing God's word. So many people, friend, come to Bible studies, sit on pews, listen to podcasts now and uh, ministry through the internet messages, and they hear truth. And the deception of Satan is to think that hearing it is enough. That just hearing it brings benefit. And my precious friend, listen to me this morning, it does not. There will never be an accomplishment of God's word in your life until you do it. We're not just to be hearers, but we're to be doers. Because when we don't, James says, we deceive ourselves. And so all of the word that they had heard, they had to be doers of it. Well, what's, what's involved in that? We've well, heard these four words before. No, stow, show, so. Pretty easy, right? Good, let's say that together. No, stow, show, so. Some of you aren't, you're really not participating this morning. Let's try that one more time. We're to know, stow, show, so. That was so good. All right? So they had to know God's word. Look at verse number 7. He says, only be strong, be, be very courageous, that you may observe to do all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And so the word had been spoken to them, but listen, they had to know it. They, they had to receive it. My friend, you can't obey the word that you don't know. You can't do that. You know, it's, ignorance is never an excuse when the game warden checks you. Ignorance is never an excuse when the, the, the cop pulls you over for speeding and you didn't see the sign change. You, you're, we're expected to know these things. And you as a disciple are expected to know God's word. How do you do that? you got to sit down every day, friend, and there must be a time of disciplined study of God's word every day. You have to know it. And I've, listen, I've heard all the excuses. Well, I'm just not a good reader, and I, I can't... You make God a liar. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things. My friend, every person in this room can read God's word and know what it says. Know what? Original message to the original audience. Time transcending truth. God, what's the application to my heart today? And now what's my response going to be in light of it? Everybody can do that. The question is whether you'll do the time to really know and learn. The people couldn't follow what they hadn't heard. And so Joshua was going to continue to disciple them and encourage them. So they had to know God's word. But they also had to stow God's word. Look what the Bible says in verse number 8. The book of law shall not depart your mouth, but you shall meditate. In it day and night. Now that's not some crazy transcendental meditation. Some hippie sitting with his legs crossed. You know, thinking about some peaceful thought. 
This is, I've used this illustration before. You've all seen cows in the field grazing, right? You've seen that say yes. Yes, all right. Have you, you've also seen cows later in the afternoon sitting down. They're loafed up. They've got their hooves tucked back under them, and they're just sitting there chewing. You're like, well, man, how are they eating grass? Well, they're not eating grass. What are they doing? They're chewing the cud. As it were, friend, they're, they're bringing back up. It's a process God gave the cow. What they took in real quick, and now they're beginning to break it apart and to tear it apart so their bodies can fully benefit of what they've eaten. You're not going to have time when you read God's Word of a morning, friend, just to fully understand every minute part of what you've read. But, friend, the Holy Spirit's there. If you, if you know it, then you're able to stow it as you begin to meditate. Now, God, what were you saying? Lord, I, I just want to pray and ask you to help me understand that passage of Scripture. You know, Lord, that really spoke to my heart. What verses are tied to that? And, friend, the more you think about it, the more it becomes part, you begin to break it down, just like the cows break down the grass. And every little spiritual promise and every little spiritual benefit that's in that word, it begins to, to feed your spiritual life. You have to know God's word. You have to stow God's word. But then you have to do what? You have to show God's word. Look at verse 8 again. You, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate it on the day and night that you may what? Observe to do according to all. What's that word? A-L-L. What is it? All that is written. Not part. Not what's convenient. Not what you like. But all of it. Know God's word. Stow God's word. Show God's word. You're to live out what you're learning. God told the nation of Israel, all of these truths, these things that I've commanded you, Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 11, Deuteronomy 28, all of those commands, you've got to do them. It's not optional. For God's word to be a benefit of your life, you have to show God's word and you have to show all of it. But then we come to the fourth part, no stow, show, and so. Look at verse number 8 again. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. They were to be talking about it. Talking about it. Hey, you remember when Moses um, began to, to challenge us about, about this part of the law? You remember we made the tabernacle? And, and he, was, he was talking about the, the Holy of Holies. Boy, something's just been burning on my heart. You know, Moses talked about the prophet that was going to come one day. The, the prophet. The, the high priest. wonder who he's talking about. And they would just begin to talk about these truths. And the more they talked about it, they sowed it in the lives of their neighbor. They sowed it into the, the hearts and lives of their children. And so God commanded them. He says, you've got, you've got an order to obey. It's your response to the word. No, stow, show, and so. Now look at the latter part of verse number 8. Here it is contingent. For then, and literally, friend, that means only then. For then and only then, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Well, what's the reflexive truth? If you don't do that, you'll have no success. You'll leave a, you will live a defeated spiritual life, you won't fully be able to inherit all the abundant life that I've had for you. And friend, it's the same for us that are here today. That You have to know God's Word. The only way you can know it is to open the book and study it. Friend, listen. Praise music, worship music, gospel music, wonderful. It's no substitute for the study of God's Word. You've got to open the book and you've got to read it. I'm telling you, my friend, you will give time to what's important to you. 
And I'm telling you, if you start your day without spending time studying God's Word, you're telling God without saying it, I don't need you today. I can accomplish my life today. I can walk in abundance without you. And you can't do it. You have to know God's Word. You stow God's Word. How? You hide it in your heart. You meditate upon it. You memorize Scripture. You read it over and over and over, friend, until you understand those three things. Regional message, time-transcending truth, application, and then fourth, what's my response going to be to it? We show God's Word. We live it out. My grandmother had a little card from one of the Bible school projects, one of the 10,000 Bible school projects she did with children at some point. But I remember it said, you may be the only gospel someone ever reads. You think about that. But I'm telling you, what, is, is it any wonder people say there's hypocrites down at the church? They work with them. They're out partying with them on Friday and Saturday night. They're by each other buying beer and wine and cigarettes. They're down there both scratching the lotto off. They read the filth that they say and speak and write through their thumbs. They see these things. Friend, listen, to, to really challenge someone and to lead them to, to Christ, they've got to see us living out daily at all times the Word of God. It's got to be a reality. It starts in the home, and it carries to every place wherever our mission field is. No, stow, show, and then so We have to share it verbally. Share the gospel and seek to disciple people. Discipleship doesn't just rest upon the church, friend. It rests on you. I'm telling you, God's going to hold you accountable at the judgment seat of Christ, not only for who you did and who you didn't share the gospel with, but who you attempted to disciple, teaching them all things to observe whatsoever I've commanded you. Discipleship is responsibility of all people. And so it's the same for all of us. And after hearing all these things, you almost get, you almost get the sense in verse number 9, because it's a question, have I not commanded you? Now, now look at it. Look at your Bibles. Verse nine. Simon says, look at, look at your Bibles. Verse 9, look at it. Have I not commanded you? Question mark. God said all these things, and we almost get the sense that Joshua's been starting to begin to get overwhelmed. There's a sense of anxiety. Maybe he's fainting spiritually at this task. Because don't forget, he was Moses' assistant all those years. And he saw how the people responded at times. And so he, he, he seems to be he's overwhelmed. And so God just tells him again, look, did I not command you? Joshua, hey, wake up, buddy. Listen, be strong. Look at verse 9. Be of good courage. Do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He says, look, I'm going to be with you. Now let's get after it. Quit singing about the abundant life, talking about the abundant life. Let's cross the river and live in the abundant life. That's what he's saying. And my friend, hear me today. You can understand John 10.10. 10. You can write essays about it. That the thief comes but to steal, kill, destroy. And you can list all the things in our current culture of what Satan does to steal, kill, and destroy. And they're not hard to find if you just look around in a few places. You can begin to write that Christ came to give us life, how he gave us life through his substitutionary atonement on the cross, the victory that we have through an empty tomb. But not only that, he has an abundant life for us. You can write all those things, but it doesn't do you personally any good if you've not crossed over and you're not walking in it. It doesn't do you any good. 
I want you to imagine with me this morning. All right? Put your little imagination cap on. We're going to take a little trip in our minds. Imagine that we're all at, at, at an airport and we're fixing to get on a plane. You're fixing to get on a plane. And the airplane has 200 seats in coach and about 20 seats first class. And so everybody has bought coach that day. And so we check our bags and put them up and sit down. And you know it's so uncomfortable. And somebody's already kicking the back of your seat. And something sticky on your left arm rail. And you're wondering what that is. And, you know, somebody's already began to lay their arm over on top of you. And you're just not very happy at all. But then the pilot comes on and says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I need to let you know that you know, we filled up coach today. All 200 people bought coach. But no one purchased one first-class ticket. Nobody. And so as an act of good faith and to, to show uh, on Safe Flight Airlines um, how much we care about you, we have randomly drawn 20 people to come up front to trade in their seat in coach for first class. Lunch for everybody in coach will be a bag of peanuts, and they're not even going to give you the full can. They're just going to pour it in that little squatty cup and then take the rest of the can away. You know, your, your Coke or your Sprite. But in, but in first class, it's a ribeye dinner with a baked potato dragged through the garden, salad, your choice of dressing, dessert, cheesecake, and your entire flight will be in a full reclinable Lazy Boy recliner. And so they begin to call out the numbers. And they become, you know, row seven, seat B. And that person's just giddy, and they stand up and gather their things. But then they call out the next one. They say, now, uh, row 12, seat E by the window. And the person says, no, I'm good. And the stewardess says, sir, you know, the person beside you, half of them's on top of you right now. Do you really want to keep sitting right here? I'm good. Sir, you've, it, it's been paid for. It's free. It's available to you. You can ride from your, where we are to your destination in first class. Say, no, I'm good. Does that make sense to anybody? How does it make any sense, friend, that Christ saved you to ride first class all the way to heaven in this life? But the devil deceives so many people to sit and coach and think it is first class. I'm telling you, friend, you hear me this morning. It's entirely possible to be saved and miss out on God's best for your life because you will not choose to get out of the coach and go to first class in the abundant life that Christ has for you. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you flying right now in your life? Say, if you've been saved, say amen. Friend, you're in coach or you're in first class. You're in one of the two. And if you're not walking in the abundant life, you're not walking in the abundant life. But it's free to you. Christ bought it for you with his blood. And he wants to lead you into a life of abundance. The question is this. Will you be strong? Will you be courageous? And will you choose to cross over with God today? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Now as we go to invitation, listen to me. That's sad to miss out on a life of abundance in Jesus Christ while here on this earth. To live your entire life and never experience all the best that Christ wants to give you. My friend, how further sad to think you're on a plane going to heaven 
because you've been to a church and you're a Baptist and you think you're a good person only to find out, friend, when the plane of your life lands, listen to me, you didn't go to heaven, you went to a place called hell because you never turned from sin and trusted Jesus to be the pilot of your life. Friend, Christ isn't going to be your co-pilot, but he'll be your pilot. Have you ever turned from sin and trusted Christ to be Lord of your life? Then choose to do it today. He loves you. He died for you. He rose from the grave. He offers you victory over every challenge sin casts against us. And he offers to you an abundant life that can only be found in him. But you've got to choose to turn today and receive him first to be Lord of your life. And if you would do that, tell him so right now where you sit. Just like this. Pray and say, God, forgive me a sinner. I believe Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. I lay my life, I surrender my life to Jesus Christ today. Forgive me, be Lord of my life. I'll follow you now. Did you pray that? Did you mean it? I want to encourage you in that decision in just a few moments. A few moments, we'll stand to our feet and they'll sing. If you, if you prayed that prayer, you trusted Christ to be Lord of your life, I want you to make your way forward so I can tell you what God wants to do next in your life. Oh, dear one that's been saved, God's impressing upon you because I've, I've prayed for him to do it. I've prayed for him to do it. You're here the Holy Spirit wants you to be in God's will. God's impressing upon you right now. I've prayed for you. God is impressing upon you whether you're walking in the abundant life he saved you to experience or you're walking in second class. If you know that you're not, you haven't crossed over and God isn't leading you in all ways and at all times, Trade in today, friend, coach, for first class. Let this be your prayer. God, forgive me for wasted days. But today's a new beginning. Lord, I want to experience all that you've saved me to experience upon this earth. And so, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll know your word. I'll stow it in my heart. I'll show it. I'll sow it in the hearts and lives of others. God, I choose based on the promises you've given that you'll never leave me, you'll never forsake me. You've promised to provide and to guide and to give me power that I need in this life. I choose today to be strong and courageous in you and to follow you in what you're leading me to do, what you're leading our family to do. God, what you're going to lead this church to do in the days ahead. Lord, I pray your will would be done in every heart and every life. Holy Spirit, overwhelm us with where we stand in need. And I pray we'll submit ourselves to Christ's will today for our lives. It's in his name we pray and amen.